Welcome back, it's to Yin and Yang. Um, I'm gonna do a live intro, so bear with me guys, I'm gonna play something real quick. Can you guys hear that? Yep. Yep. I can hear it. Cool. like that. <laughs> hey, cool. I'm not mad at it. Yeah. What's up? Good work, folks. Dude, I don't know if it was the music or or what, but I'm kind of hard, dog. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just playing. Uh, I'm not. With not three this... other dudes. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's a sausage party here. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No okay. one knew that it was only three guys. There could be girls in the room, too, that just That's, aren't well, Now it's too late. Um, so, okay. <laughs> Well, welcome, welcome. Girls just walked in right now. Baby. Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, welcome back to Yin and Yang, the podcast, uh, episode twenty-three. Uh, no, wait, yes. twenty-three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a it's a good podcast tonight. It's gonna be, um, yeah, we've got a bunch of people. Uh, let's see here. Uh, okay, um, so. What we're doing right now is we are multi. We're international right now. We've got um, international. so international. So we have a, we've got a special guest. We have two special guests. Okay, Aaron is returning. Uh, hey, Aaron, what's up, everybody? Aaron the fish, uh, uh, Estrada. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. What's up, guys? He's joining me here in the valley. Uh, and then Dan, of course, my 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 other half of Ian and Young. And then we have a very very special guest. James Z. Fang. Yay. Hey. Yay. What up, what up? James is calling uh, from Taiwan. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while uh, since uh, we, we connected. So good to hear from you, James. How, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Happy to be on the show with you guys. And it's good to hear from you too, Dan and, and James. And also nice to meet you again, Aaron. Thanks, man. You too. Cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, pretty freeform. Uh, basically, what I like to do with new guests is try to get kind of a little bit about 
their life story. Um, James and I go way back. We go back since uh, college date years, back at um, uh, yeah UC San Diego. So uh, just just you know quickly, James, like anything that any personal information like you're you're not comfortable sharing, just share what you're willing to share. You know. And uh, you know, just uh, if there's anything you're like, hey, you know what? Let's uh, let's scratch that. Then just let me know. You know, it's it's not live. We can always edit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an open book, brother. So okay. I ain't got nothing to hide. Okay. All right. So let's uh, let's start with um, Dan. Did you want to start with anything? Uh, I, I I know I usually start with stuff, but like Dan, do you have anything? Uh, just uh, what have you been doing up? What have you been up to, Fang? Um. Man, I just got back from China. Uh, I was there for two weeks. Um, we just finished two projects for NVIDIA. Um, that's one of my uh, clients right now that I've been working with. Uh, and we were filming in Shanghai first uh, for one of the projects. And right after that, flew to Shenzhen uh, to film another project. So um, yeah, they got a lot of things going on and just been really, really hectic here working on uh, those two projects and also finishing post-production for another uh, sports company here in Taiwan. So, I mean, the last month uh, really has just been work, work, work. Um, I had a little bit of mini vacation in there, going to Japan with some of my U.S. friends for a couple days. But, yeah, that's what's cracking over here, man. Dude, that's dope, man. And um, these these shoots, like, what what's, what kind of production schedules are we looking at right now? Or, or like, you, uh, in general? Like, are they pretty tough? Are they uh, long and hard? Or are they... Uh, uh, stop what? there. Yeah. Long and hard. Long and hard. This guy's getting sexual already. I like it a lot. <laughs> Aaron. Oh, man. Okay, Bro, yeah. you already, dude, you were singing earlier and now you're saying long... This is, uh, this is true. This is do, true. Man. This is true. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, James, what kind, of, what kind of schedules are we looking at? Are they pretty humane, I guess, is the question? Yeah. Uh, you know, like, I usually, for my... Uh, Asian productions, especially in China, um, usually they're used to pretty brutal schedules. Um, like uh, last year when I shot the Sayos commercials, it was two straight days of 18 hours. Um, I literally just go home at like 3 a.m., take a shower, you lie down for like two hours, you wake up, and then you go to the set, and it's like straight up from you know 7 a.m. again all the way until 3 a.m. So those schedules are usually pretty brutal. Um, wow. These ones, uh, I, I don't try to do that. Uh, I've been trying to, you know, keep it down so people don't really you know get too tired um and then uh so these were like 12 13 hour shoots um not as long yeah i mean i know this still seems pretty long but actually for china standards it's not it's actually pretty short uh my cinematographer um he actually just finished two like uh, web movies and those were like they shoot a whole 60 minute movie in literally 10 days <laughs> so you're talking about like shooting five pages a day and he's talking about getting like two hours of sleep. You know, I did it for the commercials for two days and that's fine. But imagine these guys doing it back to back to back and like three projects straight up. So that's like a whole month where you're sleeping two, three hours every day and there's no off days. So, so it, it's insane here in China for some of the productions. Is Feng, a, are, you a, are you a director? Yes, oh, James Feng okay. is a director. Yeah. He's, you, I mean, we started in acting. That's how we met back at, okay. in college. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, yeah, let's let's get into it. Uh, so I didn't mean it to. No, 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 no. That's a good okay. good question. Like uh, you, you're you're essentially like our listener right now. Yeah, yeah you're like our audience. Okay, for those of uh, for those of our listeners who do not know James Fang, James Fang, um, yeah, like wh where. Would you say is there a specific area that you grew up, Fang? Like, if someone say, "Yo, Fang, where you where, where you call? Where what's home for you? Uh, do you have a place?" 
Um, you know, I think uh, I, I was born in China in a city called Wuxi. Uh, it's really close to Shanghai. It's only like a 30-minute um, uh, train ride uh, on the on the on the MTR now. Um, and then I basically grew up in the States uh, and went, went over there when I was around eight or nine. And I stayed there most of my life. And that's where I met uh, James and also uh, Daniel's uh, wife, Jennifer. Um, this is when we all went to UCSD together and did acting together. That's actually essentially how we got started. And I remember one of the first things I asked James Shi, I said, hey man, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do you know, with your future? And he gave me two words. He gave me two words and he said, right, here we go. He said, Asian cinema. <laughs> Nice. Those are the words. And I remember him, you know, moving to Taiwan right after. Yeah. And I think it's kind of funny because <laughs> uh, we, and the thing is, I moved to Shanghai to pursue acting after college and James actually moved to Taiwan. And then, you know, and then later on, uh, we all went back to the U.S. And that's when we actually worked together. Um, we did a documentary called Fight Life. Uh, James was one of my producers. It was a mixed martial arts documentary. And after Fight Life uh, was finished and I had uh, some Taiwanese friends uh, that we that said, hey man, we saw some of your projects. We would love for you to come over. Um, you know, we'll pay for your stuff, pay for your housing, pay for everything. Would you consider coming over here? So that's when I kind of said, oh, you know, fight life is done. Um, I want to get back to Asia, you know, to do films. And so I took the opportunity and came over to Taiwan to just visit. And I kind of really liked the place, um, you know. And I said, dude, it's close to China. You know, a lot of my work stuff is in China. So, um, but I don't really want to live in China um, uh, at this stage of my life. Uh, so I said, dude, let's do it. So I made the decision and I moved to Taiwan. And that was about five years ago. And it's been a crazy, crazy ride. You know, a lot of ups and downs and good and bad. But uh, it's just, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy ride. Uh, you know, and James has been, you know, part of it, knowing what's been going on because he actually visited Taiwan uh, during the last five years, I think like twice. So he kind of sees, you know, what I've been doing, and it's it's fantastic. I really enjoy it here. Um, I've kind of rooted myself here now. Uh, about a year ago, I made a decision to call Taiwan home. Um, so you know, it's uh, yeah, it's actually home for me now. That's, That's awesome, cool. man. Yeah. And um, where'd you grow up in in the states? Like I, I kind of I know. grew up yeah. in the. I moved everywhere. I, you know, when we first went to the States, uh, we lived in South Dakota for a year in a small town called Brookings because my dad was uh, going to school there to finish his uh, degree, finish his uh, master's. And then we moved to San Francisco, Sacramento, Rancho Cordova, you know, Danville, all over the area. And then, uh, and then finally, you know, ended up at UCSD uh, for undergrad. Yeah, and uh, we, we linked up again. So for Fight Life, we linked up in the, the Bay Area um and yeah it's uh i guess for fight life that was that was kind of a crazy ride too i mean we can you want you want to get into that real quick uh or do you want you know what yeah, we, go ahead. we can also do like we can do a timeline like um because okay filmmaking for you all right like because you made you made like you you showed me this crazy triad film you made back in um what was it High school. High school. High school. Yeah. <laughs> so was that the make? <laughs> was that the makings of James Fang, the director, or was it even before that? Like, where where were the inklings yeah. of creativity coming from? You know, uh, it's a pretty crazy story because um, when I was younger, I was a, a top tennis player. I was a number one tennis player in my school, and I was ranked um, like I think it was like 30s in the state. So that was my I would consider profession at a very young age, from age 13 to 16. 
And so that was actually my life for a long time. Every day I just went to practice tennis five hours a day and competed on weekends in tournaments. And then what happened was tragedy. Um, one of my closest friends, my doubles partner, my training partner, uh, Ryan Meyer, um, he went to a different school and he passed away uh, suddenly, just suddenly passed away uh, from cancer, literally within like two weeks. So after wow. that, I just... I, I, I don't think I ever knew you know, that. Play, oh, wow. Okay. I couldn't really, you know, never really could play tennis again. You know, it just kind of was traumatized by that experience. You know, imagine your best friend just passing away and the guy that you practice with every day, you know, like daily for five hours. And all of a sudden, you just didn't have the same motivation and just it was different being on a tennis court. So when, after that happened, I just kind of, kind of uh, gave up on tennis. Uh, didn't really want to do it anymore. And it was funny because I made some new friends at the time. Um, one of my friends, uh, two of my friends, Mike uh, and Albert, who James, you've met before. Yeah. And it was just senior year, randomly. One day, you know, we just became friends. One day they came in their car and they knocked on my door. And I opened the door, I was like, what are you guys doing here? And the first thing they said, hey, wanna be in a movie? And I was like, <laughs> sure. And then we literally just filmed in my house that day. And I didn't know anything about acting, directing, or anything. So we made this little short film that, you know, for their video production class. And I, was, I got to be a part of it because I was acting now. You know, after the first thing we shot at my house, he was like, hey, let's go to the school and shoot some more scenes with you. And we ended up shooting in, you know, like uh, Barnes and Nobles. And I'm like playing this bully dude. And uh, I thought it was really fun. And after that... They started kind of showing me a little bit, uh, you know, how they do it, like the editing and all that. And also introduced me to the video production teacher. I'm not even in their class, but, you know, I kind of hit it off and I asked him, I said, hey, can I use your, you know, equipment and stuff if I were to do stuff? And he's like, dude, come anytime you can use all our stuff. So then I picked up a camera and I said, dude, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to go all out. So we made an hour feature length movie about some gangsters because you know we grew up watching all these gangster movies so we made one um and it took like i think a couple of months and i was literally editing every day like you know from after school till whenever school closed and that's kind of when i kind of fell in love with uh filmmaking and we finished the movie and you know it was so great i got so i probably got like so many people involved we were shooting these crazy ass scenes like at parks with swords and all these weapons and all these cops would show up you know, and it's hilarious because these cops would show up. They'd be like, hey, we heard there's a disturbance. You know, what are you guys doing with these crazy swords? And then, you know, I go up to them. I tell them what we're doing. I was like, dude, we're making this cool, dope movie. And those guys got it so excited. They were like, all right, man, cool, dude. You know, we'd love to see it when we're done, when you guys are done. And they just bounced. Uh, <laughs> all, yeah. these incidents, <laughs> all these incidents that happened, I just, it just made filmmaking so, so enjoyable for me. Like, and the, after that, I... Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just like the whole process. It seems like all these... These happy uh, circumstances, like yeah, add, add you know, it, it all to the out. experience. Yeah, okay. You know, so being able to write, you know, like kind of write the script and then direct it, and you know, also act in it, and then editing and doing the whole process. So by the age of, you know, that's when I first started was age sixteen, and right after that, that's when we did college, and I decided to focus on acting in college, and that's when I met, you know, James and then Jennifer. And, uh, you know, we were some of the only Asian-American, you know, actors and actresses in the program. And, uh, you know, we kind of hit it off. Uh, and after that, I just kind of focused on acting and did acting for most of my college years. I uh, did a bunch of independent films and student films and all that. And so I didn't really get back into directing and filmmaking, writing my own stuff until 
years later after college. So, you know, uh, it's a very crazy journey to go from, you know, 16 to college acting and then acting after college for another two years in Shanghai and then eventually being like, damn, you know, like acting's cool, but man, I think this, you know, filmmaking thing, I think I'm really more passionate about. So just switching over from, you know, the being in front of the camera to start being, you know, behind the camera, you know, doing like, you know, first AD work and then writing and directing, you know, my short films for competitions and then, you know, winning all these awards at different competitions started giving me, you know, like encouragement, like, hey, man, you're like really good at this. Yeah. You know, like, man, maybe maybe we should go all out and keep going. So I eventually kind of made the transition from, all right, man, I'm going to stop doing the on-camera stuff, you know, and just really focus on behind the scenes. And yeah, actually, I don't really tell that to a lot of people, you know, nowadays, because, you know, I think in Asia, people like to, you know, they people kind of front a little bit and want to just be able to be like, hey, if you're a director, you know, like, it's a little weird if you also act, you know, it's not as professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, unless you're like a celebrity, then it's different. If you're a celebrity, you can do everything. You can be the, like, Jay Chow directs all his music videos, you know, but not really, you know, because they also have all these, uh, they call it, uh, in Chinese, they call it zhixing daoyan. And basically, they're the real directors behind all these big names. Um, and that's kind of how it is here in Asia a lot of times that people don't really know about. Uh, actually, you know, a lot of the directors that get the credit, um, you know, like, like these actors, you know, that, that, that says directed by Jay Chow, let's say, in a movie. But really, behind him, there's actually two other real directors. And a lot of times, they're actually the unsung heroes and don't actually get the credit on screen sometimes. Oh. Um, China's, getting a little, China's getting a little better now. They're actually giving the Zhixing Daoyan, you know, the kind of like uh, on-set director credit on the actual credits. Um, but obviously, it's just a very small credit. But those are the, actually the real people directing a lot of these movies, TV series, and all that stuff. But yeah, that makes sense. Like it's kind of like they're 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 using the name, right? Like they're using the you know the the celebrity name, but back behind that celebrity is there's like a legit person director who's been doing like do who does the grunt work. I mean, is is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like that movie that uh, Jay Chow directed about, um, like, uh, the, the piano movie. Yeah, me, um, me. Secret. Yeah, Secret. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Secret. Like, uh, I heard, I think I heard that on that movie, there were, like, two directors. Damn. You know, one that was focused on purely visuals, and then a guy who's, you know, comes from a music video background, and then another guy that was focused on more the acting and all that stuff. So, you know, because think about it. How the hell are you going to be the main star and direct yourself and other people and the camera and the visuals. I mean, come on, it's kind of virtually impossible, you know, for a first time kind of director, like who have no experience doing films. So of course it's, you know, but it's, but it sells, it's marketable. That's why people do it. You know, it's like, oh, Jay Chow directed it. It's like, oh man, I, I gotta see that. Right, and I think there's some truth to um, like those directors who, uh, also similar to like those directors who shoot their own things or their their directors who act in their own things like the unsung heroes are sometimes the dp or the unsung hero is like you know the the, the ad or wh- whoever or the whatever the the unit director or whatever um because absolutely yeah because i i've heard that before and it's like um the thing is though like you know the person who's acting in the scene sure okay there this is there's okay uh, there's some gray area where like when they're in their scene, maybe they're kind of directing the actor a little bit by how they interact with the actor. Maybe there's some gray area there, but um, you still need you need a third eye. Like Dan, what do you what do you think? You, would you agree? You still need the outside perspective, right? Yeah, it's always it's very strange when um there are a lot of these actors who direct their own stuff. So I, I don't know how they do that. Oh. I just don't because they don't know what it looks like. 
well, I guess they can look at these days. It's all digital, so they can go and look at dailies or whatever right away. But yeah, it's yeah. not easy. Well, I think at the end of the day, it's about trust. And uh, you know, for me, because you know, I have film crews that I work with regularly, and uh, and for me, I like to switch around and you know work with different crews for different projects. But for example, let's say you know I already know my DP pretty well, and I work with him on three four projects. It's like there's that trust that's already there. So when you have that trust, you can certainly express the visuals and the things you want to express. And when that connects with the DP with the other crew, uh, it can be done. Um, but you know, for the most part, I think for American films, um, I don't have obviously, you know, I'm not 100% certain. But I'm sure a lot of times when these director or actors that are doing these projects, they have crews that you know, and, and they've obviously already accumulated that experience to be able to do that. But you have to understand for these Asian projects, it's a little different because they're just run and gun, and there's not much time, and they try to squeeze these budgets. And so I'm pretty sure a lot of the projects, when when that happens, they don't allow for that kind of creative freedom. You know, Asian movies, they don't. And a lot of them don't have the kind of prep time that, you know, U.S. movies and uh, you know that that have that. You know, for example, I was reading about. I just watched. I was watching Castaway, and I was reading up on that. You know, a movie like Castaway, even though it's a you know a one person movie, the budget was ninety million dollars. And one of the reason was because when they shot the movie, they shot the first part. And then they stopped the movie for a whole year because they needed Tom Hanks to be in a you know that physical condition to to like he's just been at sea for four years. So that actually took a whole year. They took a whole year off just to do that, and then they and they shot the other parts after that first year. So you know like to have those kind of budgets to be able to have that flexibility, the time where you know like Tom Hanks is just all he's focused on is just that. And Asia, it doesn't work that way. The value of Actors and celebrities, it's very different. So everyone is just trying to milk the crap out of you know everyone's schedules. All the actors I know, it's like their schedules, like the 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 people that are desired and, and most sought after. You know, you're, you're talking about like we were doing a TV series with Jimmy Lin, who's a pretty top you know like actor here, and he was filming um, a TV series with uh, you know one of our teams, and this guy would literally like fly out. In the middle of the production for one day, and this happened like three or four times during the production, just because he had obligations to, you know, be at a concert and to, you know, participate in some kind of show, and imagine like that. Imagine working like ten hours, whatever, and then getting on a plane to fly off to a different city for like a couple hours, and then getting on it back, and then coming back to sleep, and then wake up the next day, and you're back on set filming another ten hours. And so, that's like, crazy, that's、dude. the kind of like that's the kind of schedule that these actors, you know, are are working with, and that's why if you look at female actresses here in Asia, you realize that most of them, after a while, don't do it anymore. A lot of the actresses, if you see that, you know, a lot of big time A listers, after a while, they actually stop because their bodies physically can't handle that kind of schedule. You know, imagine being a twenty-year-old, twenty-five-year-old, and then every day just going, you know, day after day, just grinding, grinding. I mean, yeah, you're making a lot of money, and you know, and doing all that, and pushing your limits, but like your body, it takes a toll. I remember I had a conversation with、uh, Li Bingbing, you know, who's one of the most famous actresses、um, in China, and、uh, she needed some help with the movie,、uh, learning some English. And so a friend recommended me, and we became friends during that period of time. And she, I had no idea; like she was literally, you know, like taking a lot of pills, medication, because her body was just so effed up, you know. And you wouldn't know; you wouldn't know by right. And she looks beautiful. She looks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but nobody knows. 
the pain that she actually has to go through because her body is you know effed up from working years of this kind of grueling schedule and what the asian people what they most fear is losing the spotlight if you look at guys like andy lao all these guys that are kind of old now but they're still hustling still going after it because what they're afraid of is relevancy they're afraid that if they're not on screen anymore people are going to forget about them don't care about them anymore their box office value is going to go down so in order to you know maintain that they just have to go all out all the time and that's why it's the way it is so you know it's kind of difficult you know that's why i think a lot of them really envy the american actors you know guys like you know like all the top a-listers can do a movie like leo dicaprio like he could just do a movie a couple movies a year and then chill for a year and not even do anything and then all of a sudden reappear again a year later to another do another movie and whatnot get to pick and choose and the, you know and the flexibility of the time you know not to say they don't work hard but at least you have that kind of flexibility to just have some chill time and spend some time on yourself so i think that's the biggest difference between you know like you know here in asia versus you know a lot of times like in the u.s and uh and other countries as well you know because people are just so scared of losing their spot you know losing their spot uh in the line and losing that relevancy now uh, that brings up a question like is that self-constructed by the, the, is it constructed by the, the people in power in that industry or is it a cultural thing is it like is it just like asians are just constantly having to grind to like because there's so many of us there's too many there's a billion plus chinese or whatever so um like what what where does that stem from why why is this particular culture american culture hollywood culture maybe less grinding and grueling even though it's essentially the same field it's entertainment so like where where uh, where where's where is that where does that shape like how why does it take this shape you know uh i would say two words artistic value okay americans Hollywood and, you know, uh, actually it's kind of ironic now saying this because I think Hollywood's changed so much. Sure. But, you know, Americans, Americans and Hollywood value creativity. They value, you know, like, all right, man, we want to do a good movie. We want to do a movie that's going to matter. So we're willing to put the resources, the investment to, uh, you know, to put into this project. For example, like, uh, you know, I remember uh, watching a behind the scenes of uh, uh, Annapolis with Justin Lin directed yeah. uh, with uh, Tyrese Gibson. Oh, and dude, I remember I really watching like the behind the scenes. <laughs> so good. I, rem I, I remember watching the behind the scenes and they were saying like, oh, so the process was once the script was finished or whatever, they bought the script. Uh, the first thing they did was they got the writer and Justin Lin together in a room every day. And I believe for like three to six months. Wow. And just to, just to retweak the script into a better shootable you know like version just to do that and obviously you know they're getting paid for that so guys you know the director the writer they're all getting paid for their time for six months three to six months um just to rework the script and retool it you look at you <laughs> you look at a place like china that doesn't there's just that doesn't work like it you know the top writers they're being milked by the minute the top directors, the top actors, they are being milked by the minute. You, you tell them a circumstance that I just described, like had to have three to six months just to rework the script, they would laugh in your face. They would be like, uh, I would have shot three movies in that period of time. That's the uh. difference. It's because in Asia, they value more like what we can do with our time, how we can maximize our time. And, you know, hey, within those three months, I can get at least three movies out. And if it's the guy is a top you know, actor, whatever, it doesn't even, it doesn't even matter that the movie is shitty, you know, like, hey, we can get these out, we got to pump them out fast, 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 and, you know, uh, the Korean pop star, Rain, 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. He went to the military. He went to the military because, you know, Korea, they, they're mandatory. After he got out of the military, he lost his relevancy. People didn't give a crap about him as much anymore. So he's actually not as famous anymore. But he was like top of the Asian world back in the day. You've been doing uh, Ninja Assassin, you know? That <laughs> oh, movie. God. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh. But that's what I'm saying is actually, uh, it's actually real. It's a reality. It's not just a culture thing. It's reality. You will lose your spot. If people stop seeing your face, you will lose your spot. And that's why if you look at the Hong Kong, the mainland actors, the Taiwanese actors, they're not just actors. They're also singers. All these things are, it's like, it's for branding purposes. It's like the more I'm on TV, the more my music video is on TV, the more people are going to remember me, the more value that I have. You know, you got all these old school 90s, 80s and 90s actors and singers who are still like hustling in China, man. It's crazy. I pop on the TV in China. You're seeing all these dudes that I watched or, you know, that when I was like a little kid. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, first of all, I'm, I get kind of scared because I was like, wait, wait, wait. They still look the same. These guys still <laughs> look the same after like 20 years. So obviously, you know, there's some, there's some medical procedures uh, you know, being done, which is, which is, you know, even for guys, you know, like Aaron Kwok, for example, is a guy that I just cannot believe after 20, 30 years, he still looks the same. Mm. Um, but, you know, like that's, but that's what I'm saying is these guys have to do this. If Aaron Kwok starts looking old, no one's going to want to watch him. So he's got to do what he's got to do to maintain his physicality, his looks, and his body. And uh, just to, you know, just so that people want to watch him. And you hold on to that as long as you can. And, and then, you know, right. you quit and you retire and whatnot. So that's kind of the process. And I think sometimes it's kind of sad just being, he being here and seeing this, like, some guy, you know, who's a top actor or whatever and just spending 30 40 years hustling every freaking day with you know like really not much off days and not real life because you know their whole life is devoted to this and it's kind of sad sometimes but you know it's a price that you pay for celebrity for fame and what you really get out of that at the end of the day i'm not too sure um you know like how much that's valued you know when all is said and done yeah you know that's why i really respect a guy like chow young fat who just gives his money away and he's like dude my life is not just about my money and when i die i'm gonna just give it away and those are the people that I really respect, you know, mm. who actually don't really value money as much. But for the most part, 99.9% .9 of the people out here, it's about the dollar. So it's <laughs> about the dollar. Um, speaking of Aaron, uh, Aaron, you have you, you got anything that you want to add to that? Or like, is that something you've heard of about? I mean, yeah. I've never heard about it, but I mean, like whenever, like the more he was talking about it, the more I'm like, he's got a point. He's oh, you think so? Okay. Yeah, because, well, just first off, like, when he was talking about like the directors who are actors and they say they had directed it. Yeah. Like when Reese Witherspoon said that she directed Legally Blonde too. Okay. You know, like you gotta think like, w there were scenes where she was acting in, but like no one ever talks about who, well, who's directing at that moment. Right, right, you know, who's, like, who's, yeah. Like, and. It's a, it's a little gray area. It's yeah. a gray area, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and another, like when, when you're talking about, um, you know, like in the Asian culture, like they're, they're like busting out these movies to stay relevant. Do you do you in some sense feel though that it's kind of like a self-perpetuating system? Like, you know, you know what I mean. Like yeah, they yeah. have to keep busting out all these movies because they've been busting out all these movies. You know what I mean? Like what, like what if they did start taking their time? You know, like what if they did try to change the game and, right. and start do, taking more time with each each movie? Like Wolf Warrior Two, that came out in China and that broke like all box office records. Um, it's, I wonder, they might have, I, did they take time with that movie? I don't know, it's a sequel, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know more about that production, but like, um, 
from what I hear, also, this is another subject, is that you know how there's like the white savior in American movies? Like the mm-hmm. white guy comes into a different culture, saves everyone? Yeah. Oh, and, like. <laughs> Great Wall. Great Wall. You know, you know, chi- you know, China. <laughs> Don't right? get me started on that. Yeah. China is like Asian savior. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So, because Wolf, from what I heard from my friend, Wolf Warrior Two is basically like this Asian guy goes to Africa. It's not even like a country in Africa. It's like Africa, I, and he saves <laughs> he saves people. Yeah. Or like, yeah. Well, so. I guess like each culture will like will do that for their culture. You know. What sure. I mean? Sure. Like, yeah. They're not gonna just. I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm being a pessimist, but I doubt that there'll ever be like an American movie where they have like some Chinese guy being, I'm sorry to say it, but you know what I mean? No, it's, or you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Okay, all right. But back to your question, I think, dude, Aaron, you make an awesome point. It's kind of like what I was leading to. It's like, yeah, is it a perpetuating cycle? Cause like, okay, Shaw Brothers, right? So b- before Shaw Brothers, there's what, Cathay Pacific and basically, I believe it's I, I believe it's Cathay Pacific. I might be having the names wrong, but basically Shaw Brothers was head to head with this other company with these kung fu movies, right? Mm-hmm. But because of the Shaw Brothers freaking production efficiency, they were pumping movies like crazy, right? Yeah. So if they had like freaking you know four duds, but they they would have five other you know they would have a bunch of other hits still, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I, you know, no, James. I wonder if you can speak to this. It's like, yeah, it might be a, it might be an echo of like that Shaw Brothers Hong Kong era of like, or you know, just pumping out these movies because if you don't make your money back on one, oh, you'll make a money back on the other one, and it doesn't matter if it's like you have a, you know, a bunch of crap that came out too before that. Yeah, uh, I think at the end of the day, it's not just film industry. Um, it's everything, and what it really comes down to is the issue of scarcity. Yeah. And the scarcity mentality is, you know, and I think it happens with Asian American actors in, you know, in Hollywood. And I know this because I, you know, have a lot of friends that are in that field. Is you know, you go to an audition and uh, you walk in, and there's like twenty other Asian American guys who look just like you. Yeah. So you walk in there, you say hello, and you know all of them, and you walk out, and then you're like, fuck. Like, man, like so many damn people in there. It's like, man, it's going to be hard. It's like, all right, man, I got to start armoring myself. I got to start protecting myself because I got to compete with these fools. So I got to I got to be fake around them because there's only so much to eat. You know, it's like the pizza. There's only one piece of pie that's supposed to feed 20 people and ain't going to feed 20 people. It's only going to feed one person. So I got to go and get mine. When that mentality comes, there's so much division you know, within the community. And I think, you know, anything with art and with, you know, film and music and all that, it's like, for me, it's about collaboration and working together with people and really kind of having that vulnerability to be like, hey man, let's make something awesome. Let me give you, let's give us, let's give us all of us and everything that we got. But the problem is in these cultures, you know, the Asian culture that you're talking about, when you have that scarcity mentality, what happens is, you're scared of the next guy. You're scared of, oh, the up-and-coming director that might take your spot, that his movie might sell more than you. Oh, there's another up-and-coming actor that he's gaining a lot of momentum. Man, he kind of looks like me, so shoot, he might replace me. All right, I got to get mine and try to get my face out there more. You have this kind of attitude and this culture where you're just so fearful of losing your spot, of losing everything. Um, 
And that's, that's what I think is at the core of, you know, of human nature is when you have fear that's in there and you're so scared of losing, that fear of loss hits you so hard, it becomes virtually impossible to shake. And that's, why, that's what actually drives people is that fear. Um, and I think it's really sad because to live life like that, that means that you're constantly afraid of just always looking over your shoulder and, and just afraid that someone's going to be better than you instead of being able to be free. And I think in the creative industry, if we're really free to really be ourselves, that's actually when we create the best stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, unfor- unfortunately in Asia, it doesn't work that way. And I'm sure in Hollywood, in many senses, it's the same. You know, in, in entertainment, other industries, it's all the same. But if we can change that mentality and just know that, hey, man, you know what? If that person, you know, gets his, that's fine. I'm going to be happy for him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on myself, not the other people. Um, and I think that's the tragedy. That's the tragedy of, of comparison. And you brought up the movie Wolf Warrior to give you a real short snippet story anecdote that's kind of interesting. So Wu Jing is the main actor of the movie. Okay. And he also, he also directed it. And he also actually uh, mortgaged his mansion just to make this movie. Wow. So this is his baby. This is his thing. And my, buddy, my friend actually worked on the movie. Uh, she was one of the stunts actresses. And she met him and, you know, talked to him. And I, uh, I actually just heard this anecdote yes, uh, the last week when I was in China. So Donnie Yen, you know, who's like the top box office, whatever. It because man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it man. It man. So Donnie Yen, you know, he's, you know, pretty, pretty arrogant guy. Okay. And I remember when he heard, when people asked him, hey, what do you think about Wu Jing? And all this stuff. And he's like, oh, like, he's a nobody. Wow. Don't put me in the same category. Don't put me in the same category as him. He's not, he don't sell tickets. How are you going to try to ask me a question like that? So it's that kind of demeanor that really tells, when I hear stories like that, I was like, oh, obviously this guy wants to portray the fact that he's a top dog and he's better than him and to downplay someone else's success because, you know, Wu Ching's becoming more successful and he's kind of like, oh, looking over his shoulder like, shit, what if Wu Ching sells more tickets than me? So he's got to exude that alpha dog dominance to be like, hey, this guy ain't nobody, all right? I'm the shit. You know, like when I hear stories like that, quotes like that, that really tells me a lot about that these people, these, you know, even the top of the top, you know, guys like Donnie Yen who have nothing to prove anymore. And he still feels that way and feels threatened by the, you know, the, 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 the next generation of guys. And he has to put that negative energy out there, you know, to, to make them look bad. You know, and I think it's that's what, you know, what's what drives that is that scarcity, that fear of losing his own relevancy. And, you know, and I think it's a pretty and I think it's pretty awesome because Wu Ching actually broke all of Donnie Yen's records in the past with Ip Man and all that with yeah. actually Wolf Warrior, too. That's awesome. So, you know, huh? I just, yeah, I think that's the main difference. Well, I, I got a question real quick because um, uh, someone fact checked this, too. I mean, do you think that um, like Asian cinema could like benefit if they took like a if they took some kind of inspiration from the American way, like, you know, like... Shout you, out to Asian cinema. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Asian cinema, Asian baby. cinema, dog. You know, like, 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 <laughs> like, let's, for example, let's take James Cameron, you know? Okay, and Avatar guy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, he directed uh, Titanic, right? Yeah, uh, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so... Titanic, Terminator. Yeah, Titanic was like the biggest biggest movie right sure sure yeah yeah and then what was the yeah. next thing he did after that uh like a big thing uh, james cameron he did the abyss um and oh no that was maybe before but, but well like the point is, but like his, his Terminator. Like, avatar yeah his next biggest thing was avatar right okay and then but the 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 
the time frame between those two was like really long. It's crazy long. Yeah. yeah. But that's, when that's, he, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's like when exactly he did those point. two things, like it was, it, it was like, oh, hey, this is James Cameron who did Titanic. But <laughs> see, right? When, when Avatar came out, like, oh, this is James Cameron. He did Titanic. Every, he still stayed relevant. Like, so like if, what if like Asian cinema like took that same kind of motivation and they took more time? Because, you know, like honestly, when I watch like Chinese movies or like some Asian movies sometimes, I do have like the sense like, man, this movie was kind of rushed. Oh, you feel that? Yeah, like, you know, like storyline. Okay. You I'm, watch, not trying to, I'm not trying to like put it down. I don't watch too much of it. Do you watch any Filipino time. stuff? Uh, I do the, watch Filipino stuff. Yeah, by the way, Fang, uh, Aaron Art is a, a, a Filipino brother. Right yeah. here, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, dude. Oh, that's awesome. My, yeah. my buddies just finished. They're doing back-to-back movies in the Philippines. Yeah. Um, you guys, yeah, but I'll send you guys the link later. Check them out. Okay, I'm down okay. to watch it. But you see, here's the thing, too. Filipino about, movies. When Filipino I, yeah. movies. Shout out to Filipino hey, movies. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mabuhai. No, but like when I watch Filipino movies, like I go into the Filipino movie already understanding that it's not going to be like... Like, like up to ca- like the same yes. caliber. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The expectations. Yeah, so it's like when I watch a Filipino movie, it could like if you were to compare side by side with the same genre of of an American movie. Yeah. Maybe it's not good, but you're pleasantly surprised because you you're going in there with low expectations. It's kind of like an indie movie or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. And I I and I feel like that's kind of the way it is with a lot of Asian movies sometimes. Okay. Okay. You know. Um. Yeah, yeah, Dan, James, you guys, did you want to add to that conversation or? I don't think I, I, I don't know. I don't think I've seen too many Asian movies lately. Yeah, yeah, same here. But uh, I do think, um, no, it seems like with, uh, you know, with the Wolf Warrior phenomenon, I do think nowadays. Did they take time with that movie? I'm I remember. I don't know. I, I'm assuming so. If that guy uh, is, like mortgaged his house, I'm sure he's gonna make sure it's bomb, okay. um, like bomb in a good way. Yeah. But like, <laughs> uh, okay, so China is buying up. There is it's it's gonna happen. China and Hollywood have already been commingling for years. Okay. And there's Chinese companies that are buying up studios here. Okay. And um, you know, or they're they're doing co-productions and stuff like that. And there was a Chinese executive who basically said he's waging cultural war against America. I forget yeah. who, which executive it is, but that's what I heard. I was like, okay, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. You know, what does that mean? Yeah, what does that like? What, what do you mean by that? I guess the, my interpretation was like because America's you know, been dominant in uh, the movie world, right? Like we've been, yeah. America has been exporting our culture for for many many years right so china hasn't really been exporting its culture in the way american has until fairly recently right well you know hollywood hollywood was always meant to be racist like it started off racist yeah it did yeah blackface and yeah no no, like even no like like this the city of hollywood was for racism basically it was for like so hollywood Originally, it was called Hollywood Land, right? Okay. And the reason why, that, that's why they had that sign there. It was like a big real estate um, commercial kind of thing. Bill, okay. It was a, basically a billboard. Like, come here outside of the valley, you know? And like, the only people that could afford the rent because it was so expensive there was the white, white, was white people. And so like, like, the other immigrants, like Asian and Hispanic and all of them, they had to stay in the valley. And so that's, so Hollywood from the very get-go was always 
racist. It was always whitewashed. Well, guess what? America from the get-go. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that too, see? <laughs> from, 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 from Native Americans, I mean, yeah, yeah. You talk to any Native American about Columbus Day, they'd be like, uh, Thanksgiving? Yeah. Uh. Well, I heard, um, I think, I, I forget, where, I think it's L.A., but they're making it, um, they're not calling it Columbus Day anymore. Oh, really? They're oh, calling yeah, it, like, like Indigenous, Indigenous People's People. Day. Yeah, 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 which I, that's good. I okay. think that's really good. Okay, yeah. but okay. L- let me let me bring this back to James real quick. James, um, there's a lot of. So, have you been watching the American media recently, as far as like the whitewashing controversies and stuff like that? Uh, not too much, actually, to be honest with you. Okay, um, so basically, okay. I mean, there's Great Wall, right? Which is like a, a, a example of a Hollywood yeah. China co-production, which didn't do well in America. Shitty ass movie. <laughs> I didn't even want to watch. I didn't want to watch it. Mad. Yeah. When I found out my parents rented it, oh god, I, I was a little like, I felt a little bit betrayed. What? Somewhat. You know okay. what I mean? Because it's like, why would you support that? Are you Chinese Filipino or just like Filipino? I'm, I'm, I'm Filipino, Chinese, and Spaniard. Oh, okay, okay. You're so you're basically the a common Filipino mix, or yeah, yeah okay, All right, that's cool though, yeah. So. So it's kind of like your peoples like are yeah. being betrayed, or <laughs> yeah, like you know, like I wouldn't watch that movie. Yeah I, yeah, I wouldn't want to vote with my dollar for that movie. Right, right. So I mean, going back to like you know the Great Wall, or we're looking at you know maybe like lesser you know other other things like Aloha. Um, you know, Emma Stone plays like supposed to be uh, like half Asian or something. Um, you know, That's Ghost in the, Ghost in the Shell. Okay. Yeah, I have. I have read about this. Yes, I have. Read yeah, about yeah, yeah. This. So James, I mean, um, sorry, sorry, Aaron, did you have a point real quick? Or? Well, yeah, I had a question about like in Ghost because I, I never watched Ghost in the Shell. I never read the manga. Yeah. Right. But with like things like Ghost in the Shell, do they ever explicitly say that the the robot is like Japanese or Chinese or anything? Or do you feel like it didn't have to be said because it took place in? Well, Asia. the 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 character is like her name is like Makoto something. Okay. It's like it's a Japanese so, name. Uh huh. So okay. and her yeah uh, her because because yeah. what what I was trying to say was like you know like I'll use Dragon Ball Z as as a or Dragon oh, Ball. Oh God, Dragon. No, yeah. but but here's the thing like yeah. in, in a lot of times in cartoons, I like Jag- Dragon uh, Ball, but they fucked up the live yeah. action movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times I think, but it was like the story though. But a lot of times in anime, like you can't really tell that they're asian though like you don't well, have so very asian features dan, dan has something to say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I've been okay about so it. when japanese people like do things like that they actually view those anime characters as japanese okay. unless they explicitly unless they, they if you look at other other anime and stuff like that where they have foreigners they look different the eyes mm-hmm. are different yeah they don't have like the round bubbly eyes like most anime characters to have it's like a lot it's it's different you should look at some more watch some more anime yeah <laughs> and as far as like ghost in the shell is concerned it's, it's set in tokyo yeah, yeah that's, that's like, what i was like saying like future tokyo but yeah. i mean it's still tokyo and mm-hmm. they're they're gonna do this all over the place i mean if you talk about like the latest adaption is death note on oh, yeah. God. oh yeah remember i was talking to you about that yeah death yeah note. aaron was trying to get me to watch death note i was like just because uh, just nah. because i wanted him i wanted to be able to talk about it not like it would be i i couldn't get through it honestly i watched like 15 minutes and i was like this isn't good it's not good okay the story's not just good. like not yeah. all around it's not good and and they they made they made the characters white and black yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and they completely like changed you know like they got the idea of what Death Note is. You watched the anime or the... the yeah, I watched, I watched the whole anime on Netflix. Oh, on wow. Netflix. Yeah. Well, because I binge watched it on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, it, it was like, um, like, they just got, like, 
you know how when they say something's based on a true story, but really, <laughs> but really all they need are the same names. Yeah. And they could take any kind of um, license. Yeah. yeah. You know, any kind of creative freedom on it. I feel like that's what they did with Death Note. Oh with God. that, like they literally just picked. Okay, they made a, a white guy named Light. Oh no! Yeah, dude. Well, wait, wait, Light. Well, Light. I'm trying to remember. Light, Light's Yaka the bad guy, though. No, Light's the. He's the main character at the same time. He is. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. to give it up. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's been out for years. Okay. Um. So. But what were you saying, Dan? Yeah, Dan. Yeah. Did you have? Were you gonna expand on that or yeah? Uh, there are a lot of the instances where um, Americans have appropriated Japanese or Asian or even just other cultures' movies. Some of them have been pretty good, though. Like, Magnificent Seven is a great version of Seven Samurai. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only time... Even, sorry. The only time I've ever seen, like, a cartoon and I've been like, oh, yeah, they're supposed to be Asian in a live-action version was Avatar The Last Airbender. It's supposed to be Asian, man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the only time I've ever seen a cartoon, and I've been like, that's definitely supposed to be Asian. And then, I don't know what M. Night Shyamalan did. Oh, that's fucked up, white. yeah. So James, I mean, like, uh, yo, wait, Dan, sorry, you're saying they're appropriate, and like, yeah, they don't really, yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> it, it depends, I mean, they there have been some pretty good adaptations that have been whitewashed. I, I like Edge of Tomorrow. Okay. That was based on like a very obscure Japanese manga. Huh. What's Edge of Tomorrow? Is that oh, the that one? Tom Cruise one? With, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, yeah, yeah. That was, that's based that's on a manga? pretty entertaining. Okay. I liked it. So, like, Fang, what's, like, you, you, you being Asian-American, but then now you're more, like, okay, identity question, James Fang. Are you, would you say you're Asian, more Asian now, or more American now, or you're both equally? Uh, I think I, I'm, I think I don't. I think my identity, like your identity is who you are. I think a lot, of, a lot of times that's kind of determined by your upbringing and where you grew up and, you know, your ideology and your beliefs. And I think I consider myself more American, obviously, because most of my formidable years were, you know, in the U.S. from the ages of like, you know, nine all the way till after college and whatnot. So I definitely identify more with American culture. Um, but living in Asia, you know, like obviously for the last um, five years and then two years before that in Shanghai, you know, I definitely have adapted to the Asian culture. Um, and But I think my way of thinking, especially to curtailing to film and filmmaking, I still feel like my ways are very American um, in a way with, a, you know, obviously heavily Asian influenced. Um, but, you know, my goal is to like to make the best film possible under all the circumstances. And that's the main difference between because a lot of the attitudes of a lot of the, uh, you know, people in China, you know, Taiwan, Hong Kong is is about making money and making a, a, a movie for the lowest cost that can maximize the, the actual uh, profit margins and whatnot. So I think, and I, I think I'm still pretty idealistic in my way of thinking and wanting to, you know, pursue my goals and dreams to achieve, you know, like a masterpiece. And I think all of us, you know, kind of would be awesome to still have it to hold on to that ideal, even though it's really difficult being in the industry and having to face the realistic expectations, you know, of, of uh, you know, being in entertainment. Yeah, and, and then, yeah, go ahead, I Dan. A question yeah. About, uh, yeah, you were talking about uh, always having to be in the spotlight, uh, just always hustling in, in Asia. Is it true of, for people behind the camera as well? I mean, you talked about everyone in front of the camera, like Aaron Kwok and stuff like that, but what about directors and and producers and everybody else yeah i i absolutely think so as well um you know like 
producers, directors, same thing. I mean, if you look at some of the, like, if you go to a, a Chinese film set in Hendian, that's where they, it's like they call that's the Hollywood of China. People go there to film all the ancient pieces, like the Jet Li movies, those kind of like old, old school, like, you know, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. A lot of those TV shows, everything's filmed there. And if you go there um, and you go to a film crew there and you talk to some of the people, and it's interesting because you talk to them, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, once we finish this, it's like, what are you up to next? It's like, oh, right after this, we're going to Beijing to do this. And then right after that, we're going to go to this to do that. You know, I've heard film productions, people, producers, directors that are just literally like freaking like guns for hire who are just literally going from project to project and maybe doing like five, six films, you know, in a year um, and just nonstop. So it kind of has that kind of culture. And the attitude is very different because for these people, a lot of, t- a lot of them actually are uneducated. Oh, interesting. So okay. what happened? And what happens is a lot of, you know, like this, it's the DPs, uh, the assistants on them, they're just, they're all just, they're, they're, this is their way of making money. They don't see filmmaking as something that's artistic or fun. To them, it's like, oh, if I can acquire this skill to make more money, all right, perfect. I'm going to acquire that skill. Not because I care about filmmaking, not because I care about movies, but more so because I care about making that extra dollar. And I think a lot of times, you know, that kind of mentality is what drives people. And there's nothing wrong with that, um, you know, but I think it's less uh, from a purist perspective to be like, oh, you know what? I actually watch movies because I really enjoy watching movies. And one day I want to be able to make a great one. And I think sometimes when I see this kind of mentality, it's, it's very different. It's a real, more realistic approach to filmmaking and just being like, oh, you know, I need to be the best, not because I enjoy making movies, but I need to be the best so I can make the most you know, money and the fame that comes along with all the success and the admiration and, and, and all of that. You know, like uh, the very famous Chinese cinematographer, uh, Cao Xiaoding, he's the one that uh, got nominated for Oscar before. Um, and, you know, for, he has no education. He's literally from the, the, the rural areas. Um, you know, he's, I think his parents are like farmers, you know, and I got to, you know, work with him on a project and seeing how he works and talking to his assistants and realizing like, wow, like these guys are literally just straight up like from the farms, you know, like, I don't wow. know how he got started. I don't know how he got started learning about cinematography and all this stuff. But literally, this is a dude that is not educated and from, you know, came from that kind of background and was able to become one of the, high, the most successful, you know, cinematographers in China. Um, I think uh, The Great Wall was also shot by him, uh, if I remember correctly. He does all the eight top, top movies um, for all the directors. And... Um, so when you look at it, someone like that, it's like, wow, you can imagine the kind of drive and tenacity that he must have had, you know, all the disadvantages, not even going to film school, you know, not even going to school um, and just being able to come out as one of them, you know, being Oscar nominated. Like, that's no joke, man. So that's the that's the that's that's what I'm kind of awestruck by, kind of the hard work ethic of a lot of the culture. And that's the strength of the Asian culture, the Chinese culture, is that they will they're willing to outwork anybody. They will put in more hours and they're willing to do that. But where that comes from, what drives them, I think is very different than Western culture, where I feel like Western culture, we're just a lot more idealistic in the way that we think about movies like, man, I'm in this because I love this. You know, yeah, yeah. did an independent did an independent film once, and I remember being on set where everyone's getting paid like a hundred bucks. You know, like the lowest rates. And I remember this dude in the middle of filming. He's like, you know, it's like a PA, but he's like, guys, we're making a movie, man. We are making a movie, and you know. And the thing is, when he said that, I was like, dude, he has a freaking point. No matter how grueling that film set was, but it's like, dude, he's right. 
We are doing what we love, and it's awesome, and we're getting paid for it. Even if it's 100 bucks a day, you know, that is still awesome. That kind of says it all for me for, you know, like with the filmmakers, you know, uh, from, the, from the Western side, just kind of having that kind of mentality. If you go to any of these Chinese guys, you say, hey, man, you know, let's go make a, a short film. Let's go make a movie. These guys who are working, who are used to working on those kind of productions that I'm talking about. And you say, hey, man, come work for me for free for two days. They will be looking at you and be like, what are you talking about? Why would I do this for free? I'm only doing this because I want to make money and get paid. There's, what, like they, would, they, they wouldn't even understand why someone would want to do this for free. Right. It's just that kind of different mentality. You know? And that guy that said, hey, we're making a movie, I bet you he will be down to make a short film free of charge and probably be excited to be there and give everything that he has. So that's the cultural difference between uh, Western cinema and also Eastern cinema. Like uh, the shout, the 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 cinematographer you mentioned. Um, I mean, I what do you? I mean, you, I don't know if you can speak to his mentality, but I'm sure to get to that Oscar level or to that that high caliber, he must have some passion or love for his craft, right? Uh, I actually, I'm sure he. I'm not. I wasn't speaking on his behalf when I say you know he wasn't passionate about filmmaking. Sure, sure, sure. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying in general. You know, like uh, the attitude of most, a lot of the crew people here, it's what, what actually drives them. I guess that's what I was more, more, more so referring to is, uh, is, is that kind of thing. Because I feel like success and, you know, like imagine you're in the farms and whatnot and your family's poor. And let's say this is your only way out. You know, you're going to, you're going to, it's not even a choice. It's like, oh, for the sake of my family, I have to. Yeah, you know, and I think in America we're more, you know, we have we're we're very, we're very uh, entitled in a way because we have all this history in Hollywood, and we feel that way because we're like, oh man, making a movie, you know, it's it's a choice that I choose to do. But for a lot of these other people, it's not really a choice. It's the only thing that they knew. You know, what if he was thrown as a cinematographer assistant, and the only way he was able to make money was through that, and then he found out he was pretty good at it, you know, but it wasn't by choice. You know, and then that's how it is for a lot of the crews here. You know, I, I talk to them, I see them, and I say, "Oh, how'd you get? How'd you get in here?" It's like, "Oh, yeah, you know, a buddy just introduced. You know, oh, my cousin is the DP. You know, like uh, a lot of this is kind of like that, and they're all from like you know different provinces, different areas, and usually it's someone else that got them involved. And do they really know much about what's going on and whatnot? A lot of times they just kind of stick in their lane, you know, stay in their lane and be good at what they do. But really, a lot of times it's not by choice. So it's a little mm. different mentality. So how do you feel about it, Fang? Like, what's your view on like directing and and movies and stuff? Like, are you like you're about the art? I mean, I think for me it's a little different now. At you know, at this age, I'm, uh, you know, I'm 34 now. I've been going at this for a while, and to you know, I I still consider myself lucky to be doing this. Um, you know, like to be actually to be able to make a living from it. Mm-hmm. And but I think it's a little different because my mind now, a lot of times, I do have to worry about you know, like hey, making money and whatnot. Yeah. So you know, I gotta, I have to do commercial projects you know like a lot of these projects really it's not that glamorous it's just about you know for corporations mm-hmm. and companies and branding and whatnot so that's the, I think that's something that I've kind of lost sight of of just kind of like my own passion for films and whatnot and that's something that I've been trying to you know get, get back. back these last couple yeah last couple of years I haven't done you know anything really creative I would say for the past like you know three years um, and I that's something that I want to change so I actually decided to you know I, I just signed up 
a month, uh, a couple of weeks ago for the 48 hour film festival, you know, and a lot of people may say like, dude, you're so above that. You did that like five years ago. Why are you doing this now? You don't, you don't got nothing to prove. But for me, it's like, I don't care about what people think. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just want to do this because I love film. Mm-hmm. And I think in the film industry to get above, you know, other people's opinions of you and, and, and what you're doing, I feel like that's some one of the main, the biggest challenges, you know, because they're going to look at me and be like, wait, you're a pretty established director here. What the hell are you doing at a 40 hour? Are you like, are, are you just like, you're trying to get some practice in? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, so almost, almost sometimes, you know, let's say your image may take a hit by doing something. But if you're really true, if you have true good foundation of your identity and who you are and why you're doing this, who cares what people think? You know, I know why I'm doing this. I love film and I haven't done anything creative in a while. And this is the tr- this is going to be the catalyst that starts all that. I want to get back to writing in my own films and, and really getting into that as opposed to purely just focusing on making money. And that becomes a very vicious cycle when, you know, it's like, hey, you're enticed by money and, and by those things. But really, this is not what I got into the industry to do, not to... You know, do projects. Would you would companies. you ever come back to uh, like America and and shoot more like creative films and like take more time on 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 your filmmaking? Absolutely. You know, uh, I actually did this did that uh, this last uh, couple months ago. Um, you know, because I've been on a real journey myself recently, you know, because mm-hmm. I feel like I've been stuck in this kind of, you know, like cyclone of just creative deadness yeah. and I wanted to get out of it. So, you know, I even bought some online classes like with Warner Herzog and just been trying to get inspiration and in how I can get out of this funk. And one of the things I did was one of the exercises he gave us in the class was to make a film um, in 10 hours. So uh, and you have to the premise is, you know, like two people. You have to shoot it in 10 hours, and there's a chase scene. So I got back in San Francisco. I called up one of my buddies. I said, hey, man, you want to get in on this? Let's do this. And we did it. We had a, such a good time doing it. Literally just went to his pad, his block, and shot a scene. And it's freaking funny. It's hilarious. And we did it in 10 hours. That's all it took. So these are the things, that the steps that I've taken to actually execute my own you know, creativity to get back on track. And yeah, I still, you know, I traveled for the last two weeks to, you know, to all over China to film. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, hey, man, this is my goal. I'm setting these goals for myself. Last I did that. Now next is the 48. I got these old spec scripts I want to do. So really trying to find my heart again and my passion because I don't want to be sitting here 10 years from now and being like, yeah, I'm James Fang. I'm just this kind of commercial director. You know, I used to do all this creative stuff, did Fight Life, did all these other short films. And now I'm just a commercial director um, and I haven't done anything creative for the last 10 years. I don't want that. Yeah. I want to get back to I want to get back to why I got into this business. And I feel like a lot of people get lost, you know, on the way. And it's really difficult to kind of sacrifice sometimes, you know, like, uh, you know, like even money, per se, just, you know, because a lot of these projects is going to cost me money. And it's like, oh, I got to put in, you know, let's say $2,000 to do this. Oh, no, forget that, man. You know, I, I need to survive. You know, forget that. Yeah. But really, a lot of times, that's also that fear that kind of eats at you, you know, because, hey, what if this $2,000 is an investment? It's going to get you other stuff and get you on the way to become, you know, a better director. And, you, you know, and if you look at it that way, money actually is no longer that big of an issue. But people get kind of handicapped by money and whatnot because of, you know, like it's not easy making a living as an artistic person, um, you know, in this industry already. 
So to like the requirements to make film, obviously, is cash. That's just uh, mm-hmm. there's no ways to get around that. You're gonna just even if you get a whole free crew to work for you, do a short film, you're still gonna there's gonna be a lot of costs involved in it. So I think that kind of uh, stops people from actually creating art and what they really want to do. And I don't want to be strapped by that anymore. So making these decisions and trying to execute, um, you know, my vision as opposed to just you know. Being fearful and just continue to make money from commercial projects and maintaining, you know, my 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 role and not really taking that leap of faith and say, hey man, I'm I'm a freaking pretty talented director. I haven't grown as a director in a while, so let me go ahead and do that. And if it costs me some money, so be it. Right, right. And I I kind of backtrack a little bit, uh, kind of like your filmography um, after <laughs> after the Triad movie with the uh, with the homies in in high school. Uh, let's see, 600 was, um, was, would you say that's your first maybe artistic, uh, uh, leap? Yeah. 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 Can you want to talk about that real quick? So like 600, then there was drowning and then after drowning was, uh, fight life, I'm assuming, or was, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, dude, man, the only reason I got into this industry was because of, uh, you know, to get into directing was because of 600, you know, Um, we did this short film, literally did everything in a week to meet a deadline for a film competition, the Shanghai short film competition. And, uh, you know, the reason I got into the industry was because of that film, because I saw how my film, my first time making a movie, how much it had touched other people. And when I, that's when I realized how powerful cinema was. And when I saw that, I was just, you know, hooked. And I was like, man, this is what I want to do. And then, you know, um, being able to kind of experience that kind of euphoria um, of being able to influence, you know, cultures in the world. You know, I show 600 all over, we've shown it all around the world in different festivals. And every time at the end of the movie, at the end of the Q&A, when I'm out walking down the theaters, I always have someone that taps me on my shoulder. He said, hey, man, I just want you to know that I was, you know, an English teacher in Asia before. And your movie, man, like, dude, that's exactly how I felt when I was there. He's like, thank you for, you know, making this film, man. Like, you know, those are the things that really keep me going. And it's kind of sad that I haven't had opportunities to do that in a while. So, you know, um, I would say it's probably my purest and most rawest because I didn't know much about filmmaking, but I knew the message that I wanted to express and the feeling I wanted to express. And I think we did a good job with that in that movie and was able to touch a lot of people. So, you know, my goal is to get back to that. Right, right. If you ever need an actor for free, I'll do it. You just got to give me something to eat. Yeah. Um, So, so for 600, just for our listeners, for 600 and for Aaron, um, uh, we'll, we'll include the link in the show notes, but uh, basically, uh, it's a short film about. Uh, and ma- let me know if I'm, I'm if I'm if I'm missing anything, but it's about an English teacher in 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 China. Basically, uh, he's at a bar, and it's kind of this. You get this kind of dis- this this portrait of a disillusioned guy, who's not you know kind of like. Uh, you're not sure like what he seems lost for some reason and uh, i'll just leave it at that I'll, I'll, you guys can check out the rest of the short now i like i like um i like 600 and then from there like drowning is the longer format one and that one uh yeah you, you're touching on some stuff that we talked about earlier in this podcast was like kind of like you know living in america as a as a minority like did you want to talk about drowning a little bit 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, my different experiences in life and, uh, you know, living in China, um, you know, before in 2006 and still today, there's a lot of expat English teachers that live abroad, no matter where you go um, in Asia, Cambodia, whatever. Every country I've been to, you always meet a lot of English teachers. And I've always thought it's really interesting, kind of like how they just give up their homes and, you know, being the comforts of being in America to go live in Asia for a couple of years. And so I I was very fascinated by it. And I got to know a lot of them. And I even worked with a company who was helping them out with some stuff. So once I kind of, you know, like really understood that expat culture and what that was like and some of the characters in there, I just felt like, man, this is such an interesting topic. So we made the film and it's about, yeah, like James just mentioned, it's about an English teacher, you know, living in Shanghai and just being lost. Yeah, sometimes you lose your identity because you've been away from home for so long. And when you go back home, there's not much left for you. So it's no longer home. So you're kind of have this, you know, uh, identity crisis where it's like, wait, am I... American or have I just been living in China for so long that I'm kind of just Chinese now? Where's my home? You kind of lose your identity, actually. So we made a film about that. And the most beautiful thing was after the film was shot, after the film was uh, was shown at the film festival, you know, I went to the bar to grab a drink because I just needed to calm down because I, I felt that high for the first time showing your movie in front of like 300 people and all of a sudden i hear these two guys just you know sitting there talking and i'm kind of eavesdropping and and one of the guys goes hey man you know that movie we just saw the one with the english teacher and the other guy was like yeah man and the guy was like dude that's my life and they just had that moment this moment of somberness the two of them and the other guy answers back after a good five ten seconds he goes me too, man. Me too. And they just shared this moment there with just reflecting on the movie, how it really reflected their lives and where they were in life, you know? So I actually teared up in that moment when I, when I felt that energy and I walked up to them and I said, hey guys, uh, I'm James. And they're like, who the hell are you? And I was like, oh, I'm the guy that did the movie you just talked about. And they're like, oh my God, you know? And we had this instant connection because they saw me and they said, they saw me and they knew that you, you know who we are and our lives. So there was this common bond and we just, you know, chit chatted for a while and they gave me their backgrounds, told me what they do. And to be honest with you, I'm here as a filmmaker because of that moment. Wow. Because that's what pushes me, because that tells me, hey, man, your storytelling, it can touch people. So don't be, you know, don't be scared. Don't be scared, homie. You know, go after it. And, yeah. and that's why, and that's why, you know, same thing. You know, every film is a different journey. And, uh, and I think for Asian Americans, the things that we've experienced, being suppressed, being oppressed by a lot of the American society, how we're portrayed in the media, that's why it did drowning. And also by our parents sometimes, you know, the oppression from the parents that come from, work so hard from Asia, you know, over here in the U.S. And then, and then, and then, and then kind of putting the Asian culture on us. And sometimes it's not fair. You know, because, hey, man, we're in America. It's like kind of have should have more freedom. And but, you know, Asian culture is that clash of the old Asian traditional culture versus American culture that you've grown up in. And so I made the crowning my second film about that. And then Fight Life was actually just really about the struggle, my own struggles as a filmmaker. Because when I met these MMA fighters, I was like, whoa, I was like, these guys are just like me. It's just that they do MMA and I do film. You know, we got to self-fund what we do. And it's really difficult and it's a struggle. But we do it because we love it. And it's not because of the money. It's not because of the glory. But really, it's just because of our passion for what we do. And that was my parallel, um, you know, into MMA and filmmaking. And that's why I was so connected to that movie. And obviously, being a martial artist myself, that, you know, was also part of it. But that's also why the movie for me was personal. Because it wasn't just about MMA. It was also about filmmaking, you know, for me and James, you know, as, as filmmakers who are just hustling 
to get a freaking movie made you know it's tough yeah i mean i mean for that the journey for fight life was definitely like yeah it was like what three years or so or, or yeah and yeah. um it's uh yeah i think with that film i definitely understood like the you know thanks for bringing me on board like from the here and there the fighters struggle and like the parallels with the filmmaker struggle like it's 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 kind of it's inspiring you know it's kind of like oh shit you know these guys are putting grind then you guess what i gotta i gotta grind too and like you know i can't you know i can't keep falling back on excuses you know and um but at the same time you're like damn there's a there's a lot of adversity going into any of uh, these kind of these kind of you know non-traditional industries you know um but anyways uh so dan how are you on time i'm good yeah okay Cool. Uh, I guess. Uh, so wait, Aaron, you have to get about. Or? I don't. I just thought I was. I was checking on you. Oh no, no, I'm. I'm good. Uh, okay. So I. I think uh, one thing that. That that you mentioned that I kind of want to touch back on is. Uh, okay, it seems that. If if I'm if if I'm I'm routing your trajectory, James or uh, Mr. Fang, <laughs> I'll call you Fang just for for uh for our listeners just for clarity. That's what we used to call each other in college. Um. So Fang, like. Is it fair to say? Let me know if this is too personal, but kind of like the death of your your tennis partner was one of the sparks towards you know filmmaking, and that's it. Kind of struck a nerve with me because you know you know recently one of my friends passed away from cancer, and um, I don't know. It's just mortality has been kind of we're in our thirties now and. Uh, it's just it's something that's been on my mind kind of more more and more recently. I don't know have, if it's been on your mind. Like, have have you thought about like death and your legacy or anything like that recently? Or, um, I think for me it's a little different because okay. a lot of the journey for me uh, is also a little more spiritual. Um, okay, good. yeah, I think for let's most, talk about that. Yeah, for for most people, I feel like uh, a lot of times life is something that if you if when when you do lose it, people think about their legacy and what they leave behind. Um, I like to think of my life, I don't really care too much about the legacy thing. I care more so about my relationships and being able to love as many people as possible in the time that I'm here and just be remembered by that. That's all I really care about. Um, you know, I think when, when we're younger, we care more about the materialistic things. Oh, we want to be rich. You want to be wealthy. We want to be remembered. You know, it's like, it's why people who are rich buy paintings. You know, like that's why they spend all that money buy painting so they can say like, hey, man, you know, my value as a human being is, is so much higher because I got this five million dollar painting sitting in my house. But that's not how I look at life. I look at life and I say, hey, man, like, am I able to live my life the way that I want to live? And do I have the people that I love and, and in my life? And am I able to give them that love? Do I have those strong relationships, you know, with my family, with all that stuff? And those are my goals in life is to have that, you know. And and I think that's the value that people seek. And unfortunately, people, a lot of times we get kind of screwed up by this world where we value different things. You know, we value like, you know, working in corporations, working in different industries to make so much money so that we can seem like we're better than other people. And I feel like it's, you know, it's kind of it's kind of sad. And, you know, for me, obviously, because it's a little different, too, due to the spirituality, I'm a Christian. And, uh, you know, like a lot of times I give my life to God. So I don't really I don't you know, I don't push my religion on other people. But that's my own choice that I don't really fear, you know, death and whatnot, because I think I've given I've given my expectations. I've given my life away. 
and I know what I'm here to do, and I'm no, and I know that I'm here to just love on people unconditionally. And though it's hard sometimes, but I don't really live by the world standards because I know how toxic and poisonous that can be. Trying to chase that money, trying to chase the fame, and all that stuff. And that's this is all stuff that you know, I really learned within the last two, three years, having some life changing. You know experiences that kind of made me you know into this way because I feel like when we're younger we do seek that you know we everybody wants to be that director everybody wants to be that actor everybody wants to be that CEO the big boss you know driving the nice cars having a nice home with a hot wife you know and the, and the beautiful you know like family the kids people seek that but a lot of times what we kind of lose sight of is who we are inside and having to kind of put that inner work in and really that soul searching and to just really work on yourself you know for me it's reading a lot of books and just studying up you know on other people um, uh, a book I really recommend to everybody is called The Road to Character by David, by David Brooks mm. and he talks about that is how today nobody values character anymore people just value things People value technology, but people actually don't really spend the time to build their own character. Character doesn't just come, you know. It actually takes a lot of work to become a man of high character and whatnot. And unfortunately, this society isn't valued anymore. Um, and that's why you have all these effed up relationships and, and kind of, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, stuff with scarcity, all these different fears and different drives that, you know, kind of consumes people. So, yeah, that's pretty much how it's kind of been for me. So do I fear death? No, I don't. You know, I, I, I got God on my side and I know that what my purpose is here in life. And so I think my mentality is, you know, that's that's kind of how I see the world and my own life and my legacy or, I, you know, the fact that I don't really have a necessity for that. Going back to like some of those, I mean, that's awesome. I think um, just speaking to you over the years, uh, it seems that you you do have a certain trajectory uh, of how your life has been. I, I think you've always been uh, spiritual with, you know, with, with your religion. But I think in the more recent times that I've spoken to you, um, it's it's taken on a more, uh, what's the word, more organic, more or... Um, um, uh, a more life uh, fulfilling kind of <laughs> yeah I, I'm trying yeah. to you know like yeah it seems like you're more ingrained with it is what I'm trying to say now I, is, I, it, is it is it okay can we talk about some of those life events that you, you, that kind of pushed you there or is that oh of course yeah because yeah, you yeah, yeah. I mean you know the you know, you know the events you know since we <laughs> talked about it you know um, 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 but 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 one thing I'm actually curious yeah, is yeah, because yeah. Uh, I'm actually curious to ask you because I feel like I've known you a long time and you've seen me in my college years, the China years. And I'll be honest, you know, like back in the years when I was younger, like I was a hustler, you know, I was always just trying to get mine and, and do the things that I needed to do to succeed. And I think after a long time realizing like, oh, wow, like this may not be the way. You know, this is actually not the path to success and kind of letting go of those expectations. And I, that's kind of changed my view a bit. But I'm actually interested to hear your view on how you've seen kind of my own personal growth and the difference in the past, you know, let's say five to ten years. I mean, I would say that's true. Like my, my, my one of my first interactions with you is that we were going to audition, right? And um, you were kind of standoffish a little bit because I think we are, you're, we're both Asian guys. We kind of similar build. And uh, what was cool was like, hey, uh, I was like, oh, are you auditioning? Did you? Um, uh, I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we went we went over lines together. I think uh, like in another in one of the rooms in Galbraith Hall or something. And I thought that was kind of yep. cool. However, 
the, you you did still feel I still fin sense that you were a little bit on guard still like real talk so <laughs> so um, but then, absolutely yeah yeah I mean for you know for see for, that's that's actually what I was talking about earlier is when you walk into that room and there's 20 other Asian guys that's the thing that you get right at first you look at the guys like but the thing is we're all human beings yeah we are and the, you know you know what the truth is the truth is whoever is gonna get that job is gonna get that job yes that's the fact that's the fact and if it's not you if it's not you, it's not you. There's nothing you can do to change that. Right. So you have this malice, this discontent with all this other competition, you know. And I feel like Americans, a lot of times, we and, and people in general, we have this kind of entitlement of like, you know, like life is just supposed to just give us things. And really, the world is not fair, and it's sometimes not going to give us the things that we desire, the good things that we want. And a lot of times, we have to accept that, you know. And like for me, it's like, yeah, you know, having that scarcity mentality, like, oh, another Asian guy for the same audition, crap. What if he's better than me? Oh, crap. You know, what if he's, you know, uh, delivers the lines better than me? But when you get past that and you actually get to the person, like, you know, because, you know, and that's what I did when we did that. I was like, hey, man, let's run lines and help each other. You know, that's the person that I want to be. But that initial standoffish is that culture, is that scarcity that hits, I'm sure, everybody in the industry. Right. And um, just briefly, like, because you asked me about your transformation, um, so it's something I, I've been reading some some books as well and like one book was like The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin and he talks about um, how there's certain high performers right uh, there's certain high perform the, the reason they're optimal or high performers is because they're adaptable right or and they don't have this brittle version or idea of themselves and I think um, to be honest maybe I think you had a very Step, you had a strong idea of who you were, right? But in a in a sense that it was it was almost inflexible. I thought sometimes that you had um you 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 were could not work. Every, you were a super. You're a um I guess uh spit it out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> That's good. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like um. Hey, stop holding back. No, like, there's okay, okay, James. Real talk. I went to your house. Real talk. I went to your house, right? This you got yeah. like a portrait of you like it, it you know waving the racket and there's like a there's like a there's an eight by ten like you know like I'm like I'm looking at this I'm like okay all right no no judging but like secretly I'm judging you know what I'm saying and I think <laughs> you don't want you don't you don't want me to go there bro right but guess what James James she it does the same shit too right I we we're all guilty we're all guilty of a little narcissism right Aaron you, you tell, them, me tell them tell I, them I, I do, tell yeah. them about the bathroom selfie okay i take what i is, take i sometimes take bathroom selfies i take pictures of no no i take a selfie of me <laughs> shirt, shirtless sometimes in front of the mirror you know what i and I, saw, I, take, <laughs> I, I take it like a it's pretty often that i'll take a morning pic okay because you honestly look your best in the morning you Before you want to track your progress yeah, right yeah exactly that's 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 really why i do it is oh, to track my okay, so let me finish my thought and then we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But basically, I think James, that you've become because what what do I be my static or brittle imagery? Basically, um, it, it's that it's like the hermit crab, right? Okay, there's certain you yeah. know hermit crabs. They in order they and for them to grow, they have to walk out of their shell. And this is from Josh's book. Like uh, lobsters. They have to get a bigger shell, right, yeah. for them to grow. Mm -hmm. But there's some hermit crabs that are so scared, you know, like that they don't, they don't want, because for that that moment of time while they're searching for that big shell, mm -hmm. they're, they're vulnerable, vulnerable yeah. right? So, so I think. Yeah. But guess what? For humans, like there's things that shock us, 
you know, like breakups, you know, and, and, yeah. and James and I have both been through some major breakups. And it's those shocks of that gets that pushes us out of the shell. And, you know, it's hard to go. It's hard. It's, it's like you want to run to that small shell and stay there because after that shock, you're like, fuck, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get hurt again. Like yeah. I've been out of my shell and then someone hurt me. Right. Yeah. Well, everybody always has that choice when like something happens, like, well, could I just like whittle away and just like stay in like a ball and and let this bad situation yes. define me or do yeah. i define this bad situation okay it's okay. like it's like you know there's a story where um there's there's three items that get put into hot water right um it's uh eggs carrots and coffee beans right okay and and obviously the hot water represents like a life situation right okay and so you could like these three items, you know, like the eggs, they, they started out soft and they became hard. They became hard boiled eggs. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. The carrots, they were, started off hard. Yeah. And throughout life's challenges, they became soft, you know, like they okay. got soft. But it was the coffee beans. The coffee beans d themselves didn't change. What ended up happening is it turned the water into coffee. You change the situation around you, mm. you know, through, through, your, through you, who you are. You take a bad situation. You take the challenges that come at you and you... You take it and, and you use your experiences and your ability to, to make of it what you want. <laughs> That's a beautiful segue. So basically, James Fang, you, you coffee bean now. I think you're becoming more like coffee bean. <laughs> yeah, bro. Hey, you, you coffee bean. Are you talking about Starbucks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, I'm thinking before you had them. You a chai latte, bro, because you, you chied it, man. Because before, I think you, you, you got, I think you're good at getting hardened and, and getting, you know, tougher and you know maybe a little bit you know grittier but now you i think yeah. uh there there's a cost to that right you know there's yeah. a there's, there's a, cost a cost to that, that cynicism right and i think now you there's a high, there's yeah. a high cost for that yeah yeah and i think now um and i I'm, I'm happy to see that you're becoming a little bit more of uh you know more adaptable and hum you know humble with and seeing like you're hey it's okay if shit doesn't work out sometimes right Cause I think hey, you, hey, I man, think life I, always work out. I think if uh, if anyone's hard on you, you're super hard on yourself, right? But I think maybe you're you you're giving yourself more love now, which is something I'm struggling with because it's so easy for Asians. Dude, if you can't see I'm I'm holding James. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding Aaron's shoulder. So all right, kiss him, kiss him. No, 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 that's after. The, <laughs> that's after the party. because so, because real talk, Asians. Asians are fucking terrible with themselves. They're so hard on themselves, right? That's from our culture. And, and um, you know, I spoke to your parents. Your parents are super loving and supportive of you. But it seems that you have internalized kind of like the immigrant struggle and you've, you've, you've pushed yourself. You've internalized it and you're, you're, yeah. But now it seems that now you're kind of pushing yourself from a place of love versus a place of you know, I, I, I fucking have to do this or I'll hate myself. You know, you know yeah. do you want to know what I mean? Like, yeah. is that yeah. a fair assessment, James, or what's going on? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I think that uh, as Asians, it's really, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be, come from that immigrant background because we have so much to prove. Yes. You know, it's like, hey, man, we're in this world that it's not, we're, it's not really our homes because our parents come from somewhere else. And, you know, one of, the, one of the reasons I got really good at basketball was because I moved around a lot. And I just remembered, I say, oh, I saw that Americans valued sports. And Fang's I said, just okay, been I'm going to get really bragging this whole podcast. Yeah, the humble brag, humble <laughs> This whole I was number 1 in high school. Hey, hey so I'm just keeping it this real, is, this is a this is a good podcast for taking shots. For every humble brag, take a shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Take a shot of that tequila. You should have you know said that in the beginning. I know. Yeah. Okay. I'll edit back in. Yeah. yeah but, okay. 
but 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 you know but but I, I definitely think that that's actually where that comes from you know like you said that hardened image i think a lot of people do that because you want to be able to portray that image of just strength and that boldness you know and i think i was like that and i remember actually jennifer when she said james i just i just like the fact that you never apologize for being who you are and she said that's the biggest problem with asian people is that we apologize for being who we are you know the, oh i'm sorry for this i'm sorry for that she's like yeah but yeah. you don't do that you don't really give a shit and the truth is i don't um because why do i need to apologize for for me being me you know i think we're all unique and i think what you talked about earlier about the self-love that's really evident and i was very hard on myself because i wanted to be number one in everything you know number one in tennis number one in film whatever but you know a lot of times life doesn't really work out that way and for me it's like dude i haven't achieved the pinnacles of my success and the goals that I've you know that I've set for myself and that's okay you know life doesn't always work out that way and if I don't reach it that's all right I don't it's not my main thing to do that and I think just being disillusioned as a young youth as an immigrant and, and saying like hey hard work is going to get you to places and you're going to be successful because of that and the truth is that actually doesn't always work out that way you can be the hardest worker and sometimes still not find success in in this world and I mean success in the world maybe financially or fame or whatever but you know what like at the end of the day even if you get there, you're still not going to get what you want. True happiness, I don't think, comes from that. And I've kind of seen through a lot of that being in the entertainment industry these past years. You know, I mentioned those actors, the A-listers. I mean, I look at their lives and I was like, ah, that's not kind of what I want. I don't want to live a life like that where all I do is make money and just my value is just, you know, in dollars. You know, and I think that's been the biggest transformation. You know, like going back to you're talking about the breakups. That's one of the biggest things that changed my perspective. And Asians, and I see this in Asia now, is we actually need to embrace the power of vulnerability. And I'm uh, echoing uh, this author, Brene Brown. Um, who has a couple of books that I just have been a center uh, piece for my own identity. It's just being able to embrace that vulnerability and be okay with getting hurt and then, you know, getting back up again and being like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to shut out the world and the possibilities. I'm going to become, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to heal and I'm going to become stronger and I'm going to continue to love myself because, you know what? At the end of the day, we deserve, we deserve the things in life that we're going to get and we're going to go and get it and we're going to try our best and if we don't get it that's okay we did our best and that's all we can do in life sometimes and as opposed to just being really hard on ourselves and saying like you're never good enough and i think that's the asian mentality is that voice of the parents being like hey you're not good enough you didn't bring home this oh you only got this oh well you know what you're a disappointment and they use shame as a method to you know to in, to inspire you but what they don't realize the debilitating effects of shame and how that can affect you. And, uh, and I think, you know, like reading Brene Brown's work really helped me to heal from a lot of those wounds and, you know, and just being able to get up again, you know, from those tough breakups that really knock you down and to the point where you just can't even get up at all. You're just like lying in bed all day and just for like weeks at a time and not doing anything with your life. So, you know, to be able to get out of that darkness and come back to the light and being able to get up and get back into work and just dust yourself off and try again, you know, um, that's, I think, the tough part. But, but you can't do it with just sheer will and toughness. And that's what most Asian people and pe a lot of other people, people in general try to do is to just shield themselves and build a thicker armor so that next time they can't get hurt. You know, yeah. I've had a lot of my guy friends who've asked me to say, how do you do it? How do you still talk to your ex like after what Whoa. you guys went through? You know, people, you know, say that say, and, they, and they ask it as a genuine question, as in as in like they want to know how because they want to do it, but they don't. 
You know, I remember one time we're at a, we're at a, a lounge and my buddy he starts asking me. He's like, "Yeah, man." He's like, "My ex is here right now, and I'm about and I'm about to get the hell out of here because I ain't trying to see her." And when, when I see something like that, I'm like, "Wow, there's obviously a lot of hurt and a lot of pain that you went through, and you're just trying to be a man about it and actually not really resolving it." Mm. So you know, he's probably gonna be that way the rest of his life until he musters the courage to actually face those hurts. And and if you don't do that, you know what? That's just always gonna be there. It's like a hidden bullet that's in your body. And unfortunately, to get it out, you gotta cut yourself open. And it's gonna hurt temporarily. But once that bullet is out and you sew yourself back up and you heal, it won't hurt anymore. And that's the difference between facing you know adversity with vulnerability and embracing it, and 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 just trying to be a tough guy and will yourself out of it. And I you know I've done enough tough guy stuff my whole life. And James Shee, you know, you've you've seen me. You know, and and so has Jen and whatnot, and that's part of my identity, who I am. But it didn't really work out for me, you know, and that's why, you know, I just read a lot of books and sought all this different stuff, you know, spirituality, um, you know, like a lot of talks with my friends, and just being able to find that out and be like, wow, you know, this is actually the real way to live, and not this other, you know, living by the world standards and being consumed by it, you know. And I think that's been the ultimate kind of uh, growth, you know, in my life. And I'll be honest with you. If I don't make a movie, um, you know, for the rest of my life, I'm okay with that. Wow, I'm actually good. Okay, you know, I'm actually if I don't get to make the movie that I want, I'm all right, man. I feel like, like you know, I don't have those kind of expectations. But that doesn't mean I'm not gonna try and give right. it the best that I can, you know. But I just know that the world doesn't work like that, you know. Um, I'm not, I may not be afforded an opportunity to do what I want to do, you know. But that's I'm gonna always give it my best. I'm always gonna give it my all, and I'll be happy with that. And that's and that's comes from the self love that you're talking about, knowing that that's 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 my mentality and who I am as a person. Cause guess what, you can be happy right now. It's like I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can be and, happy. And like it takes practice, but like I, I talked to a therapist, and uh, that was one of the key things I took away is that, hey, you know what? Even if you get the Oscar, you're still gonna be you. So if you don't love that yeah. you, that Oscar's got gonna change the fact that you still hate yourself if you do. You know? Yeah, it's it, like the person who thinks winning the lottery is gonna solve their money problems. Right. Like they'll still have money. They still don't know how to spend money, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, I think we should wrap it up. Dan, okay, Dan, as, yes. as, the, as the older statesman in this conversation, sorry to call you out on that, but what, 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 what <laughs> you're are you- older than us? What? <laughs> what's, what are your thoughts That's on- That's messed up, dog. Yeah, the, what's, what's your thoughts on that, man? Because I'm really curious. You're the, you're the more established family man, and I want, what are your thoughts on happiness? Like, what's, what's, what's going on? I think it's more about learning to appreciate, um, just be comfortable, I think, with who you are, like you, everyone is saying, but just learn to appreciate what you have, because it's always like, there could always be worse things, hmm. but if you just have to appreciate everything. Well, since you're, since you're a parent now, I, you know, people always say like, oh, once you have a kid, it's never about just you. You ever feel that way? Like, you don't really have a... a uh, opportunity or like a right almost people would say to be sad about anything because you know you gotta you, you gotta think about your kids no i mean you, you can be sad about your own things but on your own time you, oh yeah, you yeah, yeah. Kids. <laughs> oh yeah okay as long as it doesn't affect your kids being brought up the right way right yeah okay. and you always learn from i i always take my the perspective like how i was raised and what i did and didn't like mm-hmm. and I, i'm i have I fall into the whole thing about shaming at the very beginning, but I don't think that's like the right way to do it anymore. Yeah, definitely not. So, it, it's just, 
But it, it comes naturally because that's what you're raised with. Right? Yeah. That's how I was raised. So. Mm. Well, I think hopefully yeah. I think I I hopefully we've all learned something. Um, I learned a lot. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Fang, uh, for sharing uh, your story. I think let's wrap it up with a language corner. Yeah. yeah do we have enough corners to make a language? <laughs> language. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Go. I, I got one question for. Fang. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Do you have time for yourself these days? Because it sounds like you're you're just hustling all the time. But do you have time to just like slow down and just do some take some time for yourself? Absolutely, you have to. Um, you know, I think uh, the nice thing about being in commercial production is that um, th you're only busy uh, when you're in production. So a lot of the time that for post-production and whatnot, you know, I, I think one thing I, uh, I'm glad you asked the question. One thing I think that's really important is balance. Being able to have enough time with your friends, and uh, you know, for me, it's I also spending time with my, you know, like church and church small groups, and I have a basketball game that I rent a basketball court every Saturday from six to eight, which is today. So, and then traveling. I think traveling for me is a big thing to kind of reset, and I travel quite a bit um, to different countries since being in Taiwan. There's a lot of, you know, all the smaller countries are all around here in Southeast Asia. So I actually set a lot of time for myself to really kind of, you know, like search within and to read a ton of books just to, you know, gain up on the knowledge and. Learn Learning about other people's life experiences so absolutely yeah it's very essential to have that time for yourself mm. I th yeah I think taking that time to recharge right yeah 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 okay uh, absolutely so uh, we're gonna do uh, so what we do uh, James uh, mr. James M Fang <laughs> uh, it's weird for me to call you mr. Fang because that's why I call your dad so I'll just call you Fang um, uh, we do a, like a little language thing at the end um so we do like a phrase that you know that something maybe we grew up with or we heard um i'm gonna do a taiwanese phrase uh let's see here uh so i'm gonna do you know i'll do something really simple i'm gonna do like how are you li hebo like li is ni right and he is a how bo is like uh it's kind of like like a bu, uh, the like in Mandarin would be like ni hao bu hao, like how are you? And in yeah. Taiwanese it'd be li hebo, li hebo. And like, so maybe if I got, you know, if I got injured as a kid or something, my grandpa or grandma was like li hebo, are you, you know, how are you, are you okay? Um, so that, yeah, li hebo, li hebo. That'd be like, uh, ra, like a raising li, li he. Li he, uh, li he. It's like both raising tones and bu be like a, a falling tone. But that's my phrase. Yay. Okay. <laughs> uh, what you get, Aaron, Dan, James? What? I, I got one. Yeah, yeah. I got yeah. one. So something similar. It's it's more slang. Um, I don't even know the etymology of it, but uh, I just remember asking some Japanese colleagues once uh, for other slang words, and it's kind of like yours. It's it's what are you up to or what's going on. Is nambashito, 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 okay. nambashito. Okay, yeah, nambashito. That's cool. So that's like a slang for how are you? Yeah, or you know, if you do it like the very correct way of Japanese, it's nambashito. like nani o shitemasu ka, or nani o yatemasu ka, or what are you doing? But nambashito is kind of a, a slang way of saying it. So gangsters say Dude, that. Japanese sounds so awesome. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Dan, Dan, I actually just got back from Japan because uh, uh, I had a trip planned to Kyoto um, and then Nara um, and Osaka right before the film shoot. And it was supposed to be a week trip, but uh, I ended up only staying for half and so I had to fly to Shanghai for the, for the oh, shoot. Sucks. 
but it was but it was pretty awesome man. I, i've been to kyoto yeah. before but i just yeah japan's really awesome went to nara where there's all the deers like literally just oh all yeah, the yeah, city. yeah that stuff is crazy how, how the ladies there yeah. james <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll leave that for after the session. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk. Uh, that, that'll be another episode. Yeah. Um, you guys, yeah, Aaron, uh, Ms., uh, Fang, you guys have any phrases you, you kind of like or use sometimes, different language? Oh. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Let me, I'll, I'll just go first. Uh, I have one in my native Ushinese um, that I think is, uh, that, that I'll share. It's Hochema. Nice. Uh, Hochema. Hochema. And what that, that means, what, that, what that means is hauchema in Mandarin is like, is it good? Is the food good? So a lot of people ask that question. Let's, let's say they take you to a restaurant and you take your first bite. They'll ask you, hochema? Oh. Hochema? Oh. Yeah, so that's something from my native Ushinese roots. Shout out to Ushi, yeah. Uh, all right, well, I guess I'll follow a suit with a theme of yeah. like asking how you're doing, which is um, in, in Tagalog, there's a couple of different ways. But um, the one that I always heard growing up when my dad would say hi to someone else, it would be um, Anong Balita. You're basically asking like, Anong Balita. Yeah, exactly. You're basically, Anong means like what? And then Balita means news. So you're saying like, what's, what's the news? Uh-huh. So yeah, you're saying like, oh, so what's up? What's the news? What you got for me? Uh, Alan, oh, that's cool. I yeah. like that. How do you say that again? Anong. Anong. Balita. Balita. Yeah. Okay. Anong. Yeah, I like that. If you go up to like you know like those old Filipinos that are like always squatting somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Why, why do you be squatting? With like a cigarette or yeah, something, yeah, yeah. Star- <laughs> staring at the rain. You exactly. just be like, Anong balita. I don't exactly what he's talking about. Be like, Anong balita, and they'll, they'll, the first what they'll do is go. <sighs> like they'll do like an exhale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, <laughs> and dude, their skin is all like leathery from being in the sun all the time. Yeah. They'll, yeah. They'll, oh, dude, I know this Filipinos. They'll yeah. be like, they'll be like, ha, ah, yeah. <laughs> they'll go like, yeah, like shake their head, like, uh, where do I start, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. That's hey. Funny, man. Awesome. I. Th- hey, Fang. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to speak with us. Um, I think uh, it was great to to catch up again and and like hear your your story, dude. Yeah, man. It was great to hear. Dude, your story. absolutely, man. Dude, cool. thanks Let's for having me, guys, and I appreciate it. And good luck with everything, man. We'll keep in touch. Let's keep in touch. Thanks. Thank you. All right. All right. Have a good one. Take care, guys. Later. Take care. Bye. Bye. Wow. That was cool, dude.